Hey friends, it's Coley. Welcome to another episode of Still With You. I'm so glad that you're joining me. And I hope you had the best Holy Week, Easter weekend. It was so nice to observe and rest. But we are back with a new episode. And you might notice the difference in the music. You're listening to Young Love by our friend and guest today, singer-songwriter Philip Vo. In 2019, Philip released his debut EP, Sophomore Year, sharing some of his life experiences as a 21-year-old college student studying at the University of Mobile, Alabama. This year, Philip is not only a senior graduating with a degree in music business, but he is also writing for a new project, a four-song EP he plans to release soon. Sharing incredible music and unpacking creative processing are two of my favorite subjects to chat about on the podcast. I'm sure you all know this by now. You guys know how much I love my friends who make music. This conversation with Philip not only hints at his upcoming EP project, but also offers dialogue about his ideas of how art is designed to be shared and music is made to serve. Friends, you are going to adore Philip's brilliancy and his heart for God. If you like to talk songwriter shop or you are creative at heart, this episode is for you. So without further ado, it is my honor to welcome Welcome to Still With You, my friend, singer-songwriter, Philip Vo. I feel like I'm talking to the Michael Buble of Mobile, Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of you to say. I don't make any music that is remotely close to Michael Buble, but you would be surprised the amount of times people have told me that I sound like him and I think they're just being kind and he's like the first person that jumps in their head like oh dude can sing but you know like objectively I'm nothing close to (laughs) Michael Buble's music he's like jazz and I understand the difference between his voice and yours and your style and his style of music and yours I think when I'm just saying that I think like when I think of Michael Buble I also think of the level of excellence that he brings with his music you never hear Michael Buble song that kind of feels thrown together and I feel like you always put a lot of thought into yours I kind of feel like maybe the tone of your voice just a little bit but that Mm. sounds I don't mean to compare no it's great I appreciate that you're very kind to say those things and that comparison is one that does not upset me at all being a student but also in mobile do you have people who locally who know you for doing your music one I'm still very young and still very new to this like artist thing and I'm not at all famous like not even remotely famous like but just in my own city I think there have been some people who have like noticed or been like, oh, do you sing? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes. But but then like five seconds later, there's like a glaze that happens over their eyes. That's like, oh, this dude is painfully normal. Oh, no. <laughs> that whole like that all of that's kind of just faded away. Then it's like, oh, great. That wall is down now and we can just be friends, you know, and that's what I really like. That's maybe happened two or three times, you know, so it's not like I'm mega famous or something. It is really cool to see <laughs> a lot of my friends have supported music and I love that. And that means so much to me that my friends would hype me up and um, be there to listen. Well, rightfully so for them to hype you up. And I'm curious, are you originally from Mobile? I was born and raised in Mobile. My family and I have lived here since I was a kid. Technically not my choice, but I still love the city and love living here and love the church I go to and my friends and family. So it's been great. Why did you choose to stay and go to school? And you mentioned to me earlier that you're a senior and congratulations. That's super exciting. I mean, it's fun in some ways. (laughs) 
It's also really scary in some other yeah. ways. Like people keep asking me what I'm going to do when I graduate. And I keep saying like, I don't know yet. Like I kind of do, but I don't. On me being in town and why I stayed, the short answer is they gave me the most money. <laughs> yeah. So like I got an academic scholarship, like a full academic scholarship to the school. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean- I was super blessed. It's it's funny because like I still know for a fact that that's definitely like a God thing. During the interview on the weekend they had us, I like cried. <laughs> what do you mean you cried? Why did you cry? I cried in the middle of the interview. There was like some conflict between me and my pops like five minutes before it happened. And I was just freaking out under all the pressure. But somehow, I guess they were like, oh, this dude cried. He should get the scholarship. I don't oh. know. Well, crying at voice isn't a bad thing. Like sometimes it shows the maturity, you know, that you're able to like not be overconfident. I had like applied to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, I was pretty set on doing music and that kind of frustrated some people in my life and my family for a little bit. They felt like I should have went to a bigger school hmm. um, with some of the test scores that I had had, you know, on like those national tests that mean absolutely nothing. But I was just like, I don't want to be a lawyer or a doctor. I want to be a musician. So I applied to Belmont and I got in, but they didn't really give me that good of a scholarship, which I was pretty surprised about. But then UM gave me the full one. So I was like, well, if that means no student loan debt and I get a degree, um, then I'll do it. I graduated from college with no student debt. And I will say that it is the best feeling in the world. It's a blessing. Like it is a huge gift that not a lot of people are able to experience. Oh, yeah. Remind me, what are you studying? I'm studying music business, but I'm mostly just that degree because it's the most contemporary musical one. Mm -hmm. Everything else is like opera music. Yeah. And I'm not opera guy. <laughs> so it made, made the most sense. In studying that, how are you having to stretch your voice to do different things? Or is it more since it's music business, is it more of like the vocal, actual vocal part is a very small part? Like what is your kind of been your like the stretching moment with studying something like that? It's still a very musical degree. It prepares you still to be like a worship leader in a church. But um, a lot of the like core classes are less geared towards ministry and more towards like working as being in the music business as your form of ministry. I've always found really cool. But I had to like take choir all eight semesters and then I had to take four hours of a particular instrument and then another four, I think, of a different one. And so I did piano and voice. Four semesters of classical voice and then I did two more of commercial voice. So like I definitely grew and like if you heard me sing when I was coming out of high school, my goodness, it was so bad. <laughs> What changed then? It's like as I as I studied and learned how to like breathe, sing on pitch and pronounce words and, you know, tone and all of that. I learned as I went through college and that's like helped me so much. So I definitely was challenged and grew musically at UM. Where did this begin for you? You mentioned that you were singing in high school. And another question too, before I forget, I want to ask, like, did you walk into college knowing how to play piano and you just grew in or did you just pick up piano in college? Because I know you play guitar. Like our friends will learn that you play guitar. Oh, they will. I didn't know they... <laughs> I just meant like the finding out about guitar thing. Was I like supposed to play guitar or something? But I guess you just meant if they listen. Because I want them to go listen to your music. So you know what I mean? Like they'll figure out like you're not just a vocalist, you play guitar. And so yes, tell me about piano. Yeah, so... I grew up playing music in church. Um, my dad's a pastor. And so in most of the churches, I grew up going to with him on Sunday morning and the rest of my family. And I would like play piano and sing some solos as you do as a yeah. kid. 
And so like they put me in classical piano lessons really early on. And I studied classical piano all the way through high school from when I was started when I was like seven or eight, seven or eight. And in middle school, I went to a private middle school and high school. They had like a worship ensemble band. And so I like learned how to play commercial piano and then copied my friend's fingers as I saw them play guitar and like taught myself guitar. So I've never had a lesson wow. with like a teacher, apart from entering into college before that. Uh-huh. I hadn't had any lessons. But piano wise, I was like classically trained and went into college and studied with like, actually studied with the head of our piano department at UM, which was really crazy. And she's really, really good. She's like a Steinway artist, if you know what Steinway is. That's a brand of like instruments, correct? Oh, Dude, it's like the best pianos in the entire okay. world. And she's like one of their featured artists. That's huge. She's from Kazakhstan and is like really nice, but also really intimidating and doesn't really talk to you in musical terms. But she's like, I want the piece to feel more yellow, Philip, or something. And I'm just like, I, oh I'm like, I don't gosh. know what this means. <laughs> but yeah, I learned piano growing up and kind of did music and that kind of thing. So that's like where I learned it growing up and took it into college and just kept going. You've mentioned it twice, commercial voice and commercial piano. What does that mean? Oh yeah. So like classical piano is like Mozart. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Bach, Mozart, you know, your basic, like not basic because they're geniuses and crazy and that kind of music is really hard, but it's like the classical wear a suit and tie, you're in the, an orchestral concert and you're like, watching all of these people play to a conductor or you're watching like a solo piano thing and commercial yeah. keyboard or piano is like John Legend playing the backing to his song All of Me. Got it. Okay. And like a classical voice thing is like opera music kind of that's a really crass way to describe it really quickly and then commercial voice is like Adam Levine's voice. Not like he is all commercial voices, but it's like pop or that style of music. I grew up learning classical stuff, which I think helped me having like a good foundation for things. And then I learned commercial stuff as I got older. Well, that's what's fascinating to me is that if you grew up studying classical music and practicing that, why wasn't that the route that you stuck with? If you, especially if you were like talented, like why did, why did you veer off and start songwriting? Like how did that grow in your life? Man. That's a really good question. I have never thought about Mm. that. I guess a big part of it, I would assume, is that when I think about myself and my my nature as a person, like I I don't really like pretense and I'm more, I I try to be more of like an approachable, normal kind of dude. Uh, And classical musicians, there are a lot, so many classical musicians I've met are so down to earth, but it's just like that style of music is so one demanding in a way that's like, you don't really have words, forces you to become a master of your instrument to express emotion and get people to like understand and communicate emotions without any Mm -hmm. lyric. And uh, I really liked the idea of being able to tell stories through songs with words, even just little things like I don't like practicing six months for like one performance. And I don't like that those pieces aren't my mm-hmm. pieces and that I have to wear a suit. Just little stuff like that. And honestly, like I had been playing classical piano for so long that it actually, I probably grew very um, tired of that kind of stuff for a while. And it was just like, oh, I got to step into the next thing that my life is meant to do, to, uh, to do, you know, or I'm meant to do with my life. You can hear it through your music that you're relatable. 
and that you threw some amount of like emotions to be able to convey the stories that you're sharing. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Yeah, I try to communicate that. When did you start songwriting though? Because that even along with like, quote unquote, the term I've learned like commercial, that's an entirely different thing than picking up a microphone and just being a vocal artist. Like it's a different, I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with like learning about that process, though I feel like I barely scratched the surface, like with what I've educated myself with or the voices that I've surrounded myself with. But like, how did that start? Because Mm. like I said, that's just, it's complex and takes a totally special kind of person to be able to operate in that form. You know, that's what you'd think. But I am a firm believer that like anybody can be a good songwriter given enough time. Really? Why? Why do you think that? Because I know myself, I like know five chords in the guitar and I used to like do a little bit and I don't ever feel like it came natural to me. And I feel like some of our other friends might feel the same way about that. But like literally pop music is built around four chords. Like 90% of what you hear on the radio, you can play with four chords. And then, at least in my experience, it's been way less about talent and natural aptitude, and it's been more about work ethic. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm like writing for this next record of mine, and I'm literally, this is not a thing to be like, whoa, look at me. This is literally me saying, I am so bad at songs, I have to do this. I have to write. I've, I'm coming up on having written 400 songs. Oh my gosh, wow. For this year mm-hmm. for the next record because like I'm picking four and 396 of them will not be worth recording. Not to interrupt you, does that hurt your heart in a way that like you've made, you've put that much time and then like... <laughs> one of them will be the chosen one or like two of them or three of them, you know, will be the one that stand above the rest. Not as much. It's more like fun, I guess, because it's just like, oh, well, I guess what kind of song am I going to write today? You know, and and it and it takes a little bit of pressure off um, yeah. and I can just like create whatever I want to, you know, that day, mm-hmm. even if it's something I know I won't record and it's just like for fun or a pop song exercise or something. My start in songwriting was like a very humble beginning kind of thing. And I feel like as I think about my story more and more, it just kind of continually reaffirms the idea that it's really much less about, like talent is a part of it, but it's not as much of a part as people think it is. And it's much more about like put in your 10,000 hours and eventually, like if you listen Mm -hmm. to Ed Sheeran's old voice memos of when he was in high school, you would be like, this guy should not do music. And then he just kept really? going and then he became Ed Sheeran, you know? Um, yeah. But in middle school, I started writing songs because I was sad. <laughs> and then... Uh, really? Is that the real answer? Like you were sad and that's why uh, you started? Yeah, that was like kind of part of it. I mean, none of the songs were happy for sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> And like happy songs, most people in the the music world agree that like upbeat and happier songs are harder to come by. Sad ones usually come easier for most creative people or slow ones. But like I started mm-hmm. writing just cause I heard songs on the radio and I was like, Oh, I want to try to do that. And um, kept doing it in high school, you know, and then I would enter into like talent shows at my school and play songs for people that were so bad. And then in college, I met a friend named Jordy Searcy, who is a really great songwriter. Yes. And he was like 
kind of like a music dad that took me under his wing that's now kind of just like a music bro but not in the idea that like we're on the same level but he's like more like a brother to me now he was the first person to introduce the idea of writing seriously to me up until that point Mm -hmm. I had been writing like 10 songs a year and then the year that I met him I wrote like 100 that year for the four song EP and now I'm following suit what he did for his last record and writing like an insane amount of songs for this next one because I know that I am not good enough to just write 30 and have the ones I need. So I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> but that goes back to what I'm taught. What I initially said is that when I hear your music, I feel like, and again, I'm not a professional music critic, but I feel like it doesn't take someone to be a music critic to hear the excellence, the professionalism and the time that you've put forth in it. That's really kind. That's a combination and result of so many things, not just me, but like edits from friends that I've sent the song to and they're like what if you tried this and me and Quinn Redman who recorded the songs when we were in the studio him giving me lyric edit ideas and and honestly it's more of like you re- you write the x amount of songs for that cycle you pick the ones you're going to record and then you put in like 40 hours yeah. onto each of those songs on their own and you try to like make them the best possible song they can be. So like you have a 90% done and then you have 10% left and you just pour hours into it to like add that extra 10%. So I appreciate the kindness, but again, it's like totally a non-natural thing. And it's definitely like a, let's go to work today kind of thing, at least in my head. I bet that helps though, being around a creative circle like Jordy. Like I've listened to his music. He's very talented and is doing very well with his music from what I've seen and followed. But I also know that you share like so many mutual friends of mine, like Gabrielle, Logan Pilcher. Also, do you know Jordan Chase? I don't know Jordan Chase, but I do know Gabby and Logan and they're both awesome. When I first started the podcast, I met Paul Vincent. Have you, do you know who he is? Logan has told me about Paul and that he's great at music and is very kind. We were going to play a show together once, but he couldn't make it. So I've only heard good things, but I've never met him. What is that like being around rising local artists? What's that creative community like for you? One, it can be super encouraging when things mm-hmm. aren't going well. Especially me, a guy who writes so many songs the potential for a lot of them being really bad is high. I can get super discouraged. I'll write like 10 songs in a row mm-hmm. that were really bad. And I'll like suddenly think, oh, dude, I should just quit this. And then I'll text somebody and they'll be like, nah, you should just keep going. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But also I will say it's like, we're not like, and especially like I'm not super tight with um, Gabby or Logan, but I would say we're like good friends. Even the friends I am kind of closer to artistically, it's less that, we're all really super tight buddies and it's more of like we have a working relationship together. We have similar ideas of what we think music should serve, what its purpose should serve in the world. We love hanging out with each other and when we do get together, it's great. Um, But I really don't see them as often, but I do know it's super great, even especially with those two specifically. I know that like anytime I would need, I could call them or text them and they'd be there for me. And I like called Logan the other day about something totally non-musically related and he picked up and was just there you know like a brother and so it's great to have that and great to have people to send songs to and be like what do you think of this and be encouraged when times are hard and even like write together and just have some play some shows together and it's great because we are not meant to create art alone oh that's good yeah and that's one thing I have learned in (laughs) writing X amount of songs is you're not supposed to be the mad scientist type 
that's like mm-hmm. a fake thing. And even people like we have thought were the mad scientists that just like pounded hours away by themselves were actually all in creative community. Like one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, had like a, a group called the Inklings with J.R. Tolkien and these other great writers of the time. And they would like bounce ideas off each other. And I've been trying to make that kind of thing happen for a long time. So that'll be like a lifelong thing of mine to try to do. Right now, I would say good friends, not super tight, but really important to have friends like them. Here's one of the things that I think I was shocked at is I felt like And maybe it's just because I've heard your name or I don't know, social media is kind of a weird space. But like, I have felt like your music was like (laughs) released before this year, but you released sophomore year in 2020. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're not wrong. And I feel the exact same way. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like Gulf Coast is kind of like a small community in terms of like passing names around and everything. I don't know. Like, I just felt like I'd heard about you when it was released. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so new. So Tell me about sophomore year. Why the name? And just like, what was it like working on that EP? It kind of feels like sophomore year was a while ago, just because of how hard I've been grinding at this next thing. But I am super proud of what we were able to come up with, with what we had to go into why it's named sophomore year. Uh, me and my friends, Quinn Redman, who was like the main producer of the project, and Brian White, who was a co-producer of the project. Like we were trying to come up with names for it for a long time. Like we would take lunch breaks from recording at Chick-fil-A and just be throwing the dumbest names at each each other. I knew I was going to release them as singles. So I had time to come up with an EP name because I was just going to group them all together at the end. But it was literally like maybe a week before I had to release it. And I was like, I still don't know what I want to call this. And then I realized that they were all songs that described my experience my sophomore year of college. And I was like, oh, let's just do that. You know, I've been really marketing and pushing this idea of I'm a college kid making music. So I was like, well, let's just call it sophomore year. And I wrote all the songs my sophomore year, but recorded them my junior year. And now I'm a senior. Recording that was awesome. I loved working with Quinn and Quinn did such a great job with the songs. We don't have class on Fridays, which I think is another blessing in disguise that God knew I would need to like make music work in college that I didn't see coming. That's so fun. Oh yeah. And it's been so important in like before COVID, obviously, of like I would travel on Fridays and tour when like at any other school, I would have to go to school on Fridays. And Mm What it did for me when I was in school recording the project was I would like go to class Monday through Thursday, bring like a loaf of bread, a package of turkey, and then some barbecue sauce and a giant chug of water. And I would like be my food for the weekend. And I would drive up and record on the weekends with Quinn and Brian and then drive back down Sunday night from Nashville back to Mobile to go to class Monday. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I did that like three or four times and they worked on it while I wasn't there and sent it back and forth to me. And so that was like really unique. I've heard that's not how most people do it, but it looks like that might even be what I do for this next thing too. We'll see how that goes. Recording, even with all of that, it was amazing just in that like a very unique thing happened in that a lot of my artist friends have said almost never does the first thing you record with someone work really well. I worked with Quinn on that and it turned out super great. Again, super proud of what we made with that and recording that was super fun. And I learned so much about musicality and what I needed to practice on the next year. Made a lot of cool music memories with some friends in the studio. 
When you look back at that album now being a senior, do you feel like it's reflective of like what you walked through in college? Partially. I mean, I know there's so many like college experiences that it probably couldn't be moved down to just five songs, but like, do you feel like it, it honors your time? I think it definitely honors my sophomore year of college for sure. In order to write much less a hundred songs, but like 400 songs in a year, you have to make a lot of stuff up <laughs> with all of the songs on the EP. Like all of it is true. I've been reflecting on that a lot lately and have realized that like, if I write what's true about my life in a song, usually it's way better than anything I can make up. When I look back at that project and I think about the lyrics, I think about the musical influences I was having at the, like I was listening to at the time, all of that kind of bleeds through. I was listening to mm-hmm. a lot of Ben Rector, ironically, a lot of Jordy's music. All of the lyrics were very storytelling, singer songwritery, and the details were for not even for the most part, they were all 100% accurate. So I think it is a good representation of what I was going through at the time. Number one, I just love the EP. And I have two things that specifically that I want to share with you about. The bridge that you have on Wrong, where you say somewhere in between, that note is just so beautiful. I want our friends to hear anything. I want them to hear you sing Wrong. I feel like that shows like how diverse your voice can be, you know, and again, like, I know that's like, what, like a couple of seconds from like a brilliant EP, but being a consumer, it's like one of my favorites. Thanks so much. That's really, really kind of you. And I appreciate that. That bridge is also like really cool because there's like a drop that's delayed into it that I did not come up with. Mm But I wish I did. But somebody like Quinn showed that that bridge to someone and they're like, what have you waited for all of the instruments to come in? And then we did it and it was amazing. So that's my favorite part about the bridge. But thanks again. That's really kind. Another song that like I really love and I feel like for me, I am probably one of those people who gravitate more towards the energetic song, almost like just like more of the songs like wrong, you know, where it's like got a real strong kind of balladish, but not, I don't know, just not like what... October Rain would be. I've listened to that song several times. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago and I was driving to a friend's house actually to do some podcast stuff. I was just kind of listening to your music and I was in the car like wrestling with some stuff with the Lord just about some things that I'm trying to like I was trying to take control over and like like had to surrender. And I think like when I first listened to that song I thought it would it was like about a relationship or something but man like if you listen to that with like while you're in a moment like that with God, those words like hit straight to the heart. Oh man. I want to know more about the story behind that voice memo, which it's crazy to me that that's even a voice memo because that feels so intentional. First off, that's awesome and just made my whole week. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. (laughs) No, Uh, of course. (laughs) That's like, you know, part of why it was a voice memo was like, I was super broke and we didn't have the budget to record it. But also the other part of it was Quinn had been listening to a record by an artist named Leon. Yes, I know who that is. It's, she's a female, right? Yeah, yeah. And she has a voice memo called Cruel to Care on her album. That inspired it because he was like, oh, this could be a cool way to present to people that like, oh, you can do pop music, but also if it's just you and a guitar, it's also still well done, you know? Yeah. We didn't even like re-record a voice memo. It was like the original one I made after I wrote the song. It's interesting you say that about experiencing it through the lens of the Lord, because I think the meaning evolved for me over time. I was just being extremely vulnerable and honest with myself at the time. I was wrestling through things in my own life, 
and things I was trying to control and my anxieties about, you know, life. And I was with someone at the time and my brain was like, if I lost her, everything would fall apart. Yeah. But I think, I think it works in terms of like anything anybody holds dear and like gives them life for us to like lose that thing is very worrisome, almost terrifying. And I've realized over time that that was actually my like way of getting out that I thought so many things in life were important, but Hmm. losing God or like not, and which you can't actually do, but like finding and pursuing and getting everything in the world, but losing my soul and not having like my relationship with the Lord would end me and be really bad. I am actually like a huge like objectivist in many ways I disagree with my artistic friends about like a lot of them think art is subjective and I don't and I will say that like art has objective meaning but experiences are subjective to that art so like when artists create stuff they have an intention but then like if somebody experiences it that's subjective to them but that doesn't change the objectivity of what is created but that's definitely a moment where I realized like oh because I wasn't incredibly specific with this song people are able to experience it in a multitude of ways and even me like I experienced that song in two ways at least like a person and then realizing my relationship with the Lord so that's like a song just like I wrote about some of the worries I had my sophomore year thinking about like pursuing a career in music Um, and every time I play it it's like a reminder to myself that I need so it's been really cool to see that song Uh Um, one impact some people and like hearing your story about it is so life-giving and then also for me to remember like oh I shouldn't lose myself in everything everything's gonna be fine like the other day I recorded a live session of it and I as I played it like hearing that song again kind of solidified in my brain again oh you're a senior now and you're still worrying about all these things yeah you should just let God take control instead of trying to be in charge of your life. Do you ever feel like it's costly to be that honest? I don't think so. If you mean costly in terms of like... Costly of like where you are like, oh, I feel like that was maybe just for me. Like something that's you've shared or been published that you're just like, that kind of hurt to release because that was just that honest. I've only released four songs and then the other ones kind of just exist as like, voice memos or demos, you know, that nobody ever, ever hears. And thank goodness they don't, you know, but um, I also have a view of art that it's meant to be something that we use to serve other people. I have some songs that are like pop songs that are pretty good, but they're just very self-serving, maybe even aggressive in nature that some friends really like, but I'm like, uh, I can't release that because that would hurt someone more than it would help them. You know, that's very mature then. It is helpful to pay attention to what songs people like, but I think the trend I'm looking for is, okay, a lot of people like this song and it helps people. And it's like something that I think artistically represents me well, which is like a whole checklist of things I have to go through. Just because I think a song will help people and I like it doesn't mean that other people will like it. And just because other people like it and it helps them doesn't mean I like it. And just because other people like it and I like it doesn't mean it'll help them, you know? So it's just kind of like thinking about balancing all of those things is really important to me. Yeah, Not so much in creating. I'm willing to just like write anything, but I'm not so willing to just release anything. It's not always easy, but it's definitely really fun. I just have such respect for friends and people who are in the lane that you're in because it would just be hard for me to get in my feelings so much and then just to be brutally honest and share. So I just, I always feel like it comes with some sort of price tag and some, I would say more of a sacrifice. Like it's a, it feels very 
beneficial, you know? It can be most frustrating when I'm really emotionally honest, but the song is objectively bad. Oh, yeah. That's a probably a painful combo. Yeah. Yeah. It's just annoying because it's like, man, today I decided I was going to tell the truth in my song, but the song was bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, but like, I'll like write a great pop song that is not honest to me at all. And then that just feels empty. So it's like trying to marry the two is the challenge. Um, People can hear it through the conversation that we had that like, you're obviously like you follow Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, but the music that you make is not specifically driven towards faith-based. I even feel weird saying that because you're Christians. Everything you do is like based on faith. That's your foundation. But I guess what I'm trying to say is why do you think it's important for Christians to be in the kind of field that you are writing songs about relationships, writing songs about life experiences where you may never say the name of Jesus, but at the same time, like you're still sharing and serving. Like you, you said that you believe like art is meant to serve. Like, tell me what that's like, like how your relationship with the Lord has influenced the artist that you are. Mm, That's a great question. It's it's also a daunting one. No pressure, sincerely. I know that your life does not have to measure up to your answer. You know, like we totally get you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's one I've thought about a lot. I will say that like, even for this next project, there's like a song that I've written called Made in the Image. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that could probably go on the same record as some like really pop songs. That song's hook is like, you're made in the image, made in the image, made in the image, the image of God. You're made in the image. Even when you don't believe it, you're made in the image, the image of God. I've been going and wrestling with this idea of like, do I create two different artist identities? Do I release two different records? One like with Christian songs and one with pop songs. But I'm like learning to reconcile and introduce the idea to the faith-based community that a person can like write songs that are explicitly Christian and then songs that are explicitly like not Christian, but still built on a foundation of faith. Yeah. And I've learned over time to be a believer in Jesus. And this is my personal conviction. It's not for all artists who are believers. You don't have to believe this or live by this. But I think for me, it's become too important to not give a voice in my music to telling other people about God and Jesus and how he's like changed my life. But it's also like, I think God wants Christians to write about all parts of life. So whatever point I'm in, each record is like a snapshot. So wherever I am in life at that point, it's really just, well, this is what life looked like. And this is what relationship with God looked like. And there was this girl I liked and Mm -hmm. it didn't work out and et cetera, et cetera, you know? And I feel like we've divided those things for so long and it confuses me as to why we have to like section off people that way. Yeah. Jordy and Ben Rector are two guys that I've seen that happen and work well with. Yes. And like, there are some other guys that like, you know, need to breathe, switch foot that I think do those kind of things well. And I guess I'm just trying to tell stories. And if the stories are about God and if the stories are about love and if the stories are about et cetera or whatever, if I'm being faithful to tell those stories, I think I'm doing my job. I want to talk about your next project. I'm so excited. Do you have a date of when it's releasing? I don't know when it will be releasing. Still planning, still writing, still working out the details, but I am really excited to get new music out and just continue on this journey. Does it look like it's going to be an EP or an album? I think it's definitely looking more like an EP. I don't really have the cash for an album right now. And also like career wise, it doesn't make as much sense to make an album right now just because like 
people aren't really expecting that out of me right now. I feel like albums are becoming more of a thing that established artists do and young artists kind of do this EP thing until they figure out where their voice really is. And then they hone in on that and then make an album of it. That's good for me to know with my job, because sometimes like I don't always know those like little things like that. Like you're like albums are becoming more for like the Reba McIntyre's of the world. I don't specifically mean albums are like for old people now, but what I do mean is like if somebody new on the scene it's much more of a listening commitment to listen to someone you've never heard before if you see it's collected together with like 10 songs as opposed to four. I don't know if you've experienced this as a listener, but you find a new artist, they have like a whole album, like 11 songs, you listen to one and you don't like it. And you're like, I don't know if I want to dig through all of these. But if there's like four and you listen to one, you're like, oh, this is cool. Or like, you're like, oh, this is okay. There's like three other ones. And in your right. head, you're like, oh, that's not too much to commit to. Listener attention span is getting much smaller and shorter as we get more and more digital anyways. But that's another conversation for another time. What can you tell me about what you're working on? TVA, like to be announced for the release date and everything, which I'm going to be sharing it as soon as it comes out, because you obviously don't know this, but like uh, when anyone comes on the show, like you're immediately like in the still with you fam. I'm really excited excited about it. Yeah. So welcome. Well, thank you for that. I'm super glad to be in the fam. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But like, what can you tell me about it? And also like, what are some things that are you're being inspired by right now as you're working on it? I can say that I'm super excited. I think it's definitely a time where it's like, okay, I need to record songs. I would say for this next project, I've described it to friends as sonically which just means like the sounds and stuff I'm aiming for if Lauv and Ben Rector made a EP together. Okay, cool. All of the pop sensibilities that you get with a fun Lauv track, but it's all like acoustic feel that you get with a Ben Rector album. Right. So it's all acoustic instruments. So marrying those two things, I think is what I'm going to try to do, but I could end up doing a whole nother thing. Who knows? Where do you normally go when you write? Like, do you, you mentioned that you travel back and forth between Nashville. Do you like to stay in most mobile or do you ever like what ideally like where have you been writing a lot for this project I just write wherever I'm staying usually I record in Nashville but I like like right now I'm talking to you my house it like my laptops on my dresser and my speakers are on the dresser and I have a keyboard in front of it and an amp on the bottom of the floor and at school I just set it up next to the window and record and write there you know, so it's just wherever I am. And sometimes I'll like, if I'm feeling like I've written too many songs in one spot, I'll grab my guitar and go somewhere else and do something yeah. like that. But so I've just been writing everywhere and anywhere, to be honest. I watched a documentary about Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and it was talking about how like when artists would go to Muscle Shoals, that it was so interesting how the physical surroundings of the deep south, the river and everything yeah. in that area, it really influenced the music. Sure. And so I didn't know if you related to that in that form of like where you write like your physical location influences what kind of music you're curating and i've seen that documentary it's so great i think it does oh you really have oh like you're like my only friend who's seen that so good like that's cool i'm obsessed with muscle shoals i have a friend who lives near there who does music and she's awesome Mackenzie lockhart but i've seen the documentary for a class that i had to take called inside the music industry i definitely do mm-hmm. think environment has 
has something to do with how our songs turn out in some way. Probably maybe more with how they get recorded than they're written, but I also could be wrong about that, you know? Okay. Uh, but then again, like, I'm even thinking right now about some of my friends and what their rooms look like and then how their songs sound, and it makes a lot of sense, so. Really? Okay. We've just created something new in my brain that I will think about for a while. <laughs> well, it's, I don't know. I'm just very fascinated with, like, the why behind music. Like, I listen to a lot of yeah. podcasts of just, okay, this is, like, kind of, like, what the music industry looks like when I was a kid. I wanted to do music and stuff, so now I just, like, love talking with artists and learning the process of it. If you have time, you should check out, there's a documentary on Showtime called um, Shangri-La. That's okay. about Rick Rubin. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. He's like a producer who is like free-spirited thinking guy who's done stuff like with the Beastie Boys okay. and with Jay-Z and with the Avett Brothers. And he like just jumps everywhere and makes hit records with people. It's all about his studio in Orlando, Florida. And there are like a lot of cool things about music said in that documentary like the studio is in a house and there is no art on the walls and there's like little to no furniture and it's all white minimalism to the max yeah and he says it's done that way so that artists don't have images to look at and they have to create them wow that's given me something to think about like too as i go right if you like uh, the muscle shows documentary you'll definitely like the shangri-la documentary but that's just my thing i'm gonna be watching that like this week like I just wrote the name down and I'll put that in the show notes for all of our friends and the people listening to find. So Heck yeah. send me any more recommendations like that you have like that. I'm very fascinated by the process. For sure. Do you have anything for 2021 that you're going to be putting down on the calendar or that you have set up for a live show? I don't have anything booked. And I think that's just me kind of airing more on the conscientious side of things and totally. feeling it out right now. You're not alone in that. I was just, it's one of those things I wanted to ask just to make sure. Yeah. A lot of my friends are kind of really taking that slow, just taking the time to create stuff right now. But I have been creating like a master list of potential house show hosts. There's literally oh, like fun. a note I have in my iPhone of like a hundred to 150 hosts that I'm going to like hit up probably in January, February, and just see how they feel. That doesn't mean like 100 and 150 people will say yes. It'll probably be like 20 people do, but I like, and maybe 20 people do depending on COVID and all that. So I'm kind of like preparing in case things shift towards a normal. I'm kind of just sitting back and not being too much in a hurry to get back to doing those things just yet. The list of people, is that mainly on the Gulf Coast? A lot of it is like, I'm on Instagram and I noticed someone's followed me and they're like a college student somewhere. And I look and I like mark the name down, mark the college. And then eventually I'll ask them like, hey, would you be interested in me coming and playing a show? It's a lot of it is Southeast, but a lot of it also is Northeast. And then some of it is the South, uh, is, is the West too. So like Arizona, Utah, Kelly. Oh, that's fun. I haven't really figured out how I would get out there, but I do have friends out there that I would love to see. Yeah. So it's a list of mostly just United States, though. If there's anything else that you have to share, like, please feel free. The last question I ask all of my friends on the show, because the show is called Still With You, and you can answer this however you feel, where is God still with you? Even in my, like, darkest moments. Yeah. Um, this year has definitely been hard in multiple ways. What I've learned the most this year is that no matter where I'm at, no matter what it is I've done or what's going on, and I feel like God is far away. He's always waiting for me to 
turn around and come back to him and talk to him and uh, work through things with him. And so he's still with me, even when things are hard. I feel like you can see the perseverance in your story, how you are being a college student and then also like working really hard in a career that you're taking seriously. I'm sure it's fun, you know, but also there comes those moments where like took on like a different texture of seriousness, like the more you get into it. And I feel like I can see that through your music, but then also like with some of the things you just shared of like, I'm going to have to like put in some hard work to continue moving in what I feel like God's called me to be in to serve. Like, I love that you said that, that you think that and and hold true to that, that you believe that like art and music is meant to serve. And so I just wanted to like kind of call that out in you and just say like, I feel like that is like a gift. And so I just wanted to say like your perseverance is noted. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much for making time for this, Philip. Just so you know, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. I hope this was fun. Yeah, this is great. I'd love to be back. Just let me know. And um, thank you for having me. My goodness, is he not amazing? I could have continued in that conversation forever talking about music. And if you are a person who is fascinated by the music making process and love a behind the scenes look into artist life, there are so many episodes logged on Still With You. Conversations with Gabrielle Grace, Logan Pilcher, Lily Gray, Mariah Dawn, Paul Vinson. This is just to name a few. There's so many. I'll put a few in the show notes for you to find. If you do want to reach out to Philip yourself, you can find him on Instagram. His handle is Philip Music. Again, I'll put that in the show notes for you to find, but you can also stream all of his music, including the song you're listening to right now, A Young Love. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you stream. Go check it out, add it to a playlist, and keep it spinning. If you need to reach me, you can find me on social media. My handle is Coley Browning. K-O-H-L-I-E and Browning Like the Rifle. Or you can connect with me through my website, coleybrowning.com. I would love to hear from you. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, please just let me know. I don't mention this often because I want to keep the conversation flowing and moving in a way that's helpful to you and that doesn't waste your time. But if you ever have a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would be so incredibly helpful. Still With You is solely supported by listener support, which means we run based on the ability of our friends to carry this podcast out into the world, sharing it on social media, word of mouth. And one of the best and easiest ways that you can do that is by subscribing to the show, rating the podcast and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It means more than you know in keeping this podcast going. And thank you in advance for your help. Next week on the podcast, we are serving some big news, especially if you live locally in the Pensacola area. There is an event happening that you want to be a part of. Until we hang out again, friends, go out and be bold, be brave, be you. And remember that God is still with you.